I want to read to you out of uh, Psalm 92, and I think I'm just going to read, I'm going to read the whole um, chapter of Psalm 92, and um, I felt I felt last week and this week a little unusual messages, a little uh, a little different um, messages, and a little different uh, emphasis, and not always I think the easiest stuff to talk about as a pastor. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about last week, and I felt it again this week. Uh, so I'm like, are you sure? You ever ask the Holy Spirit if He's sure? And uh, so what I felt, though, was, again, just kind of this prompting to talk about a, a right relationship with the church, a right relationship. What is a right relationship with the church? Miss um, Joel's been writing a book for the last few years, How to Pick a Church. Um, it includes various portions, like even how to leave a church. Um uh, so when you've been doing this a long time, like we have, 30-some-odd years, um, you know, you, you, hopefully you learn a couple things. Uh, and um, so part of what I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to encourage you in is just how valuable and how important it is to do what you're doing right now. Uh, and that that you are you're doing something that is so counterculture even right now, especially counterculture in the Northwest, where uh, in our region we're in the most unchurched county in the nation right here. By the way, uh, that means we're also in the most rebellious, independent county in the nation, right here. So you have to think about how does that. How does that influence the spiritual atmosphere? You know, if you come into a house or you come into the church house and people are full of faith, you kind of get caught up in the faith. If you come into a house or a church house and the people are caught up in whatever, you name it, bitterness, negativity, you can feel it in the atmosphere, right? This is out of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm blogging about it right now. That we wrestle with principalities, powers, wickedness in the heavenly realms. We can feel that. Our soul is amalgamous to the spirit realm. So you can pick up on things in the spirit realm when you come into a room or when you come into... And people say when they visit the Northwest... They come even out of Southern California. Hollyweird is more churched than Pierce County. How's that? How's that bug you? <laughs> Hello, somebody. Oh, it's just a mess down there, and everybody and all got Hollywood and, and the movie industry, and they're all going to hell. Really? More churched than Pierce County. So people come from all over America, and when they, and, and they will testify to this. You've heard them in this building. Like, you know, when they landed at SeaTac, they, like, felt the heaviness in the atmosphere. You ever get used to the smell in your own house? You don't smell it? Dog smell? Wood smell? We have a lot of hardwood, and when you walk, when we're gone for a week and we walk in the house, it's like, 
You, can, you walk in, you can smell the hardwood. You've been gone for a week. When you live there, you can't smell it. Then the bad news, you know, after we had Lily about a year, if you want to hear another Lily story, after we had Lily for about a year, we had a guy come to clean the carpets. And he comes in, he's like, whoa, smells like dog in here. We're like, ooh, that is not good. We do not want a dog-smelling house. We are a very sanctified, tidy little group at the Wolf House. Clean, neat freaks. And we don't want that. So we had him shampoo the tar out of that carpet. And the dog smell. It wasn't from Lily Pee or Poo, by the way. It was just dog smell. Okay? And I, I just wonder... How used to our environment here in Pierce County, how used to this environment do we get? Are we so used to it that we can't smell the spiritual atmosphere anymore? And therefore, do we also, Dana caught me before service and she said, whatever you tolerate will become your reality. Are we fighters? Are we fighting? Have we become so used to certain things about our spiritual atmosphere that it's affecting us unknowingly or, and we don't realize it? So I want to talk about a right relationship with the church because I would venture to say that the church, that the church person in the Northwest is very different than the church person in the Midwest. Very different than the church person in the South. Did you know that? But are we different to the point to where we think this is the way it ought to be? And do we go to the Midwest or the South and say, that's weird? If, if this is the way it ought to be, then therefore, have we become so used to the atmosphere here that we've let it define what church is, what church should be, and maybe it's not quite right. Are you hearing me? Well, I like, I'll, I'll give you a couple little opinions. Is that I, I wish you'd all press in a little bit more. I wish the front during worship would be filled with people. I wish we wouldn't act so Lutheran. There, I said it. I wish we wouldn't act so stuffy. I wish we wouldn't be so quiet. What's wrong with Lutheran? Well, nothing's wrong with Lutheran. They were the next step after Catholicism and some of what was happening in that day, right? But we're supposed to go from glory to glory. Even New Horizons should become old at some point. The seven last words of a dying church is we've never done it that way before. When you start saying that about anything new in God, you're ready to die. Because God is constantly new, and he requires that you're constantly new, and constantly singing a new song. Why? Because there's something fresh coming out of the heavens all of the time. And he says, yesterday's manna, and most of us are still living on yesterday's manna, but he says it's actually stale. You should be seeking new manna today. And that old manna that you are living off of is already grown worms, but you're trying to draw life out of it. You're supposed to be drawing life out of today's manna.
So I honestly wish that we were a little more pressy, a little more pushy, a little bit more aggressive. I, I honestly wish that we, would, that we wouldn't act so old. Hello. I know that some of us are getting gray hairs, and me included, but I wish we wouldn't act so old. There's something about, you know, there's something about... Hello. There's a reason the word said, let the children lead them. But, 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 but listen, it didn't, say, it didn't say, let the children lead them and do it. It's let the children lead them, and you follow Hello. So I, I wish we'd make a greater press. I, I wish we'd get a little more, honestly, uh, noisy in Jesus. A little more free in Jesus. Did you know that you're? Did you know that you stifling you is actually uh, harming Jonathan? Uh, uh, no, no. Listen, 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 listen. When you stifle. When you stifle you, and you refuse to be emotional before the Lord, but you will before Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, but you refuse to be before the Lord, then it actually produces a bit of a quiet atmosphere. I wasn't going to preach. This is not my notes. But it produces a bit of a quiet atmosphere that harms those who feel more exuberance. Did you know that? So that's what I'm saying. We need a freedom here. We need a freedom here. And church is meant to be a place of freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Church, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. There should be a spirit of liberty here. There should be a freedom here. We shouldn't feel all stifled. and We shouldn't go to church, and that's like the place where we really feel all bound up. But a musical will be delivered right before we come in. Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. That though the wicked spring up like grass. Everybody say grass. And all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fresh oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout that they've been routed, of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Notice how he contrasts, he contrasts, he says the wicked are like grass. They do flourish, but it's just for a season. But the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. 
That was, a, that was a stately tree of which they built the temple out of. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming... Oh, look at this. Not only do they dwell in the house of the Lord, but they have a proclamation in their mouth. Proclaiming. Proclaiming, the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I want to talk about being planted in the house of the Lord. Uh, You know, Grandma Phyllis was going to retire from her uh, small group. Uh, Grandma Phyllis was going to retire from her Bible study, of which she has, uh, how many women? Huh? 27. Grandma Phyllis has 27 women in her Bible study. She was going to retire last year when, he, when we had her 90th birthday, but she decided not to. Uh, I was just reflecting a little bit uh, on, on the blessing of the Lord. You know when you're young, you think you're going to live forever? And so you aren't as, uh, you aren't maybe, even as a Christian, you have no sense of mortality. And so even as a Christian, lots of times when we're young, because we don't have a sense of mortality, uh, we are maybe more flagrant, less self-controlled, a little more foolish. Uh, we tolerate or allow maybe some stupid things in our lives. Hello, somebody. I'm not talking about just sin. I'm talking about even dietary things or whatever. But now that I'm getting old, I'm getting older now, I'm noticing, you know, all around me, it's kind of interesting. All the people, you know, like my age and not too much older are falling apart. So the body can tolerate, uh, the body can tolerate a certain amount of alcohol for years, a certain amount of meth, a certain amount of bitterness, a certain amount of strife and hatred, a certain amount of of uh, a certain amount of Coca-Cola. You laugh, but listen, listen, listen. You laugh. He won't watch the video. He won't be offended because he'll never see it. But my brother drank like three or four or five Pepsis a day for years as a contractor, and eventually it caught up with him. See, the body will tolerate a lot of yuck for a while, but eventually it catches up with you, and when it catches up, the penalty or the payment is not happy. It's not good. Are you with me? And it's not just what we ingest, but it's also the way we process life. The way we process life begins to affect us as well. And, and yet I'm looking around. I'm getting older now. I'm looking around and I'm seeing Grandma Phyllis is 91. She's still driving her little hot rod and can't stay under the speed limits. She's leading the Bible study and she's got 27 women and she's still, she's still eating well, balanced, having her ice cream every day, good balanced diet. No, you know, years ago, she got wrapped up in the Seventh-day Adventist. She's an old Pentecostal girl, but she, uh, she got, she got, tied into the uh, SDA people about 20 years ago and started learning about the bad parts, you know, how sugar was bad for you and this and that. She started learning about a better diet, shifted her diet about 20 years ago from the common America poo diet uh, into a better diet. 
And I think that's a lot of what's really given her longevity as well. But a lot of it, too, is righteousness, a love for God, being tied into the house, loving the house of the Lord, serving in the house of the Lord, presenting her gifts to the leadership of her church and saying, where can I serve? I want to be faithful. I'm going to be planted in the house of the Lord. A lot of it's that. A lot of it's just that. People finding that wherever they're at, they want to make the team win. They want to make the house of God win. They want to present their gifts to the Lord. They want to serve under authority. They want to be helpful and gracious. Last Sunday, we zoomed down to Oregon to see mom and dad. And uh, dad is 84. He helped us build the building. Really, if it weren't for dad helping us build the building, I don't know if we would have built the building. So many of you don't know mom and dad, but they came and lived with us for months and months while we built the building. And he uh, had been a bivocational pastor. He pastored Assembly of God churches uh, all of his younger years. And then none of them could pay him a salary. So he worked as a carpenter and a contractor through all those years. So he knew enough about construction to help us with this. Uh, and uh, he was a blessing. But we went down last Sunday, 84 years old. And uh, they've, been, they've been like Grandma Phyllis. You know, they've been married forever. I think dirt was just made when they got married. And they've been involved in the work of the ministry. And no matter where they go, they go right to the pastor of that church. And they say, how can we help? And they start serving. And they start giving. And they start tithing. And they start providing. And they start visiting people. And as they got older, they wanted to be, they wanted to do, they wanted to visit the shut-ins and the sick and the newcomers. And they go and they lead them to the Lord and they pray for them. You know what my dad was doing when he fell? Remember when he fell? He fell and broke his hip. And uh, that was about six, eight years ago. He fell and broke his hip. You know what they were doing? My dad with his acoustic guitar at 78 years old, was going to see a 98-year-old man in the Dalles that they led to the Lord, who had never known the Lord, who gave his life to the Lord at 98 years old. And he couldn't go to church, and so they were taking church to him and going down the steep steps in the Dalles, on an icy, snowy day, to his house with his acoustic guitar, he fell and popped down the stairs a few times. That's why they call him Bob. And he, and, and he broke his hip. Isn't that amazing? That's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live planted in the house of the Lord. Planted in the house of the Lord. And if we will plant our lives in the house of the Lord and love his house and love his work and love his people and love his ministry, then I'm telling you what, there is not just an outward blessing, but there is an inner working of the Spirit of God that brings what Joel was just talking about. we're, We're constantly, constantly challenged to keep our lives positive and faith-filled and looking with hope at the future. Grandma Phyllis shared one of her secrets with Joel about a month ago. They were on the phone. They talk every day on the phone. And she said, you know, Jolie, I just don't think about yesterday. 
I'm always thinking about the future. I always want to think about what is next. And I want to think about that which is hope-filled. So I don't even think about the disappointments of yesterday. Isn't that Isaiah 43, 18, and 19 just a little bit? Don't ponder or bring to mind, and he's speaking over Israel, the, the negatives of your past, the troubles of your past. Don't call those things to mind, but rather, I'm doing a new thing. And what if you're waiting for a prophet to come and uh, speak over you, put an oily finger on your forehead and say, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And what if God wants to say that over you every single day? What if the prophetic ministry of Jesus would love for you to say, today's a new day. I'm going to hope. I'm going to believe. I'm going to look. I'm going to fill my heart with that which is positive because God is working in me, on me, and through me, and my future is bright, and I'm going to cooperate with him. He actually says in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, can you not see it? He says, I'm going to bring rivers in the desert. I'm going to cause that which is barren in your life to bloom. Can you not see it? Guess what? If you can't see it, you can't enter into it because you can't believe for it. Planted in the house of the Lord. The righteous will flourish. They will grow planted in the house of the Lord. What is planted? There's a lot of other verses that give us a parallel to that, by the way, of which I won't read, but Psalm 1 and 3, Psalm 52 and 8, Psalm 72 and 7, Proverbs eleven twenty eight, Isaiah 65, 22 says that you are going to be like a tree and outlive the works of your hands. But what is it to be planted? It is to be engaged. Engaged in the house of the Lord, fixed in the house of the Lord, settled in the house of the Lord, fed in the house of the Lord, steadfast in the house of the Lord, growing in the house of the Lord. The picture is that of a plant. And it's not just a house plant, it's a plant that becomes a great tree. It's a plant that becomes a great tree. Now, I'm bringing this up because we live in the Northwest, the most flighty spiritual place on the planet. And we live in the Northwest where the atmosphere is supercharged with self-will and rebellion. We live in the Northwest where church shopping is the common thing of the day. Fact is, if you you would be you would probably be overwhelmed in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt, or in the South, because in the Bible Belt or in the South, even if their pastor sins and people know it, they don't leave the church. Isn't that weird? That's strange. Even if the pastor sins and the people know it. Not that I'm preparing to sin. (laughs) But that also means, because we understand that there is a trickle down of authority, and there is a trickle down of anointing, and there is a trickle down of ministry, that means if my small group leader sins, I don't leave my small group. 
If my small group leader isn't perfect, I don't leave my small group. Because my small group leader is connected to the head. And the, connect, and the head is connected to the head. And so, and so there's this understanding. So, so I'm just saying that we live in an atmosphere where the impregnation of a spiritual atmosphere in the Northwest is criticism, gossip, uncovering, fault-finding, And we, we really aren't the church in the Northwest. We attend a church in the Northwest. We actually aren't, we actually aren't the church. And in the, in the, the way we talk about church is them down there. Well, I, I don't know. I guess they're decorating, they're decorating down there this week. We talk outside of our being when we talk about the church instead of within our being. We are, we're decorating this week. Oh, well, I guess that they've, they've, they've got a conference uh, this week. Yeah, I, I guess they've got a lot of small groups. We talk outside of ourselves in the Northwest. It feels safer. And in the Northwest, it's all about safe. And control in the Northwest, control, we want to be in control. But that's really the insidious influence of rebellion in our atmosphere. Oh, boy. I said the R word. Elbow somebody and say he's talking about somebody else. Not talking about you, not talking about me. He should have been at a different church this morning. I was really meant to be the guest speaker somewhere else, and I don't know what happened. Planted, planted, planted. Everybody say planted. 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 It means growing. It means connected. It means drawing life from the house of the Lord. It means placed in the house of the Lord. It means committed to the house of the Lord. It means fruitful in the house of the Lord. It means devoted to the house of the Lord. That cool stuff. I was thinking about this whole this whole realm of, um, and and where my mind went, uh, where where my mind went, um, thinking about our own our own personal benefits, just how righteousness, how righteousness, and how being planted in the house of the Lord is so important. Uh, I was reading about. Um, Billy Graham's sidekick. You know, Billy Graham had a sidekick until he passed away um, who was with him since 1947. You heard of George Beverly Shea? George Beverly Shea. You know, you think about some of these things and it's just crazy. Um, The longevity of a Billy Graham Loving the house of God, loving the house of the Lord. But, but, you know, sometimes we don't think about the people called to these people and the benefit of their own lives and the blessing on their own lives. George Beverly Shea lived to be 104 years old. George Beverly Shea joined his team in 1947. 
George Beverly Shea continued in ministry until 2013. George Beverly Shea, George Beverly Shea, I wanted to tell you how many songs the guy recorded. It's just amazing. Have you heard of him? Anybody heard of him? George Beverly Shea and Billy Graham put Christianity in the mainstream. This is what it said of them. According to so many that have researched their lives, central to Billy's successful ministry are the years of loyal service of people like George Beverly Shea, the first staff member to be hired by Billy Graham back in the Chicago radio days. Shea has been involved as a soloist with Billy Graham and his ministry since 1947. Isn't that crazy? Shea is best known for his rendition of How Great Thou Art. George Beverly Shea wrote one of my favorite songs that the Crab family sing. You want to have the Crab family someday? Be fun to have Jason Crab come out here someday. He wrote the song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. You ever heard that? Go to YouTube, type in, I'd Rather Have Jesus by Jason Crab. It'll blow you away. I mean, here, here's a person that just gave his life, gave his life to the ministry that he was called to with another partner in the ministry. There's something, there's something powerful about this. There's something powerful for us to catch is that church is more than something we attend. It's actually something that we belong to, something we partner with, something we build together, something where impartation flows, something where the anointing is present, something where we embrace the righteousness and the building of God's house to the point where we see our own lives flourish and something where we, we understand together that this is, this, is, this is like a life together. This brings longevity to our lives. Brings longevity to our lives. The other thing that I was thinking about uh, I think the Holy Spirit hit me with this, is that, um, you know what part of the problem is? In the Northwest, it's not just the people who have trouble being planted in the house of the Lord. It's the pastors. We've created a system of movement the denominational world has created a system of movement. And so pastors are planted in the house of the Lord for a year or two or three or four. And so because of the shifting, see, this is, this is part of what God wants us to see. Because there's a shifting with leadership, then it releases people and people then also are shifting. So there's this constant shifting instead of building together, instead of partnering together, instead of laboring together, there's a constant shifting. About the time we're about ready to get influence, about the time that we're about ready to flourish, about the time we're about ready to bear some good fruit, 
then were voted out by, by a congregational vote or were moved by a presbyterial movement or our flock moves to a new location and, and there's this separation that happens. Separation, separation. And that separation is harming the unity and the synergy that God needs to build something great and to cause us to flourish. But there's something great. There's something great. There's something powerful that happens when a minister feels God has called them to serve people, a group of people, and the people feel that God has called them to serve with that minister. That's really what, what caused David. You know, David's, uh, the, expansion, the expansion of the kingdom under David was greater than at any other time. And what caused David's realm to expand as it did was that David knew that God had set him in place for the people, not for himself. And the people knew that they were knit to him for the kingdom, not for themselves. Isn't that wild? Second Samuel 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, 2 Samuel 5 and verse 1. A covenant was formed. A covenant was formed. What if church is supposed to be more like a marriage than it is a place where we go? What if really you're married to Joel and I in the ministry? What if we're married together? Sounds good to me. I think you're kind of cute. I'd like to be married to you. (laughs) All of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and they said, Behold, we are bone, we are your bone and your flesh. You know what that is? That's a covenant. They cut covenant with David. We are of your bone and of your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. You will be a ruler over Israel. So all of the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. And then they anointed David king over Israel. Verse 9. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. Verse 10. And David become great, became greater and greater for the Lord of God of hosts was with him. And verse 12. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. What could God do if the minister knew it wasn't for him or about him and the people knew that it wasn't for them or about them? That together we partnered, together we partnered for the sake of the kingdom. Wouldn't that be awesome? Couldn't God do something amazing with that? Amen? Go over to Exodus chapter 18. We'll close with a couple thoughts. Exodus chapter 18. Um, 
I was thinking this morning that um, if God is moving you to be, um, if God is moving you to be close to uh, your pastor, really super close to your pastor, and by the way, it could be that you are um, disqualifying yourself. So, so it could be the Holy Spirit's moving you to be super close to your pastor, uh, and. And you need to cooperate with that uh, and overcome that disqualification. But I I was thinking that if the Holy Spirit is doing that, it's probably because you are meant to be a co-leader of the people with your pastor. Because the pastor of a local church cannot meet all of the needs of the people. And not everybody in the church can be close to the pastor of a church. And so the way that God has organized and ordered that it work is that there would be some who would be super close and they would feel called to be super close. And then they would be super close to the body members and the body members would draw their life from them as under-shepherds in the congregation. So rather than everybody... Now, I'm telling you something because this, again, is not typical in the Northwest. How do I know that? Well, because we, we, uh, we have under-shepherds here, like um, connection group leaders. We have under-shepherds here, as we do at, you know, most every church in the Northwest... And most of us as believers don't see the value of that under-shepherd relationship. We either feel we need to get directly to the pastor or we feel we don't have time for that under-shepherd stuff. Not realizing that he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet gets the prophet reward. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 10. So he who receives authority in the name of the authority gets the authority's reward. So we, so what happens is we're, we're, not, we're not pursuing the body life like we could or should. We're not pressing in like we could or should. I told you this is a hard sermon to bring to you. Because now it feels like I'm meddling instead of preaching. So we're not pursuing the body life like we should or we could. And part of it is because we don't esteem those who are under authority in the house. And by esteem them, what I mean is we don't connect and pursue, relate, gather up, draw life from them. And so we're not tasting of the life of Jesus like we could or should because we're not esteeming those who carry the authority of Jesus under authority as under shepherds in that local ministry or that house. And then, I'm going to really really mess with you now, but I need to quit. But then, leaders who feel like that leaders who feel like they're just going to they're going to take it on they're going to you know they're going to bear up under some weight they feel like God's called them to this and they they want to be drawn near and they want to care for the flock and they want to be an under shepherd they can get highly discouraged because 
they pursue and they reach out and they call and they, and they, and they have maybe a gathering or a coffee or a meeting or something, and then none of you come. And so then they kind of look at themselves and they wonder, did I really hear from God? Am I really, am I anything at all? I mean, do I have any? And so then they can feel discouraged because, are you with me? And, but the problem is, is that we're just not building the church the way it ought to be built. The way we ought to build the church is to esteem the house, be planted in the house, and draw life from the house under the tiers of authority within the house. And to esteem and to value those who are in positions of leadership in the house. Amen? Exodus 18. We'll read this and then we'll close. We'll read Exodus 18 and then we'll read... Y'all okay? Am I hurting you? Am I beating you up too bad? You love me still? Exodus 18... I just think, you know, we talk about it. Pastor Joel talks about it. I just think that God wants our church to be healthy. He wants us to be healthy. But if we think that what we have is normal, and then we accept what we have as normal, and we don't have the health he wants us to have, then we don't change what we have because we think what we have is normal. Exodus 18 um, this is the father-in-law of Moses, verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you're doing is not good. You will surely wear out both you and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God and teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. Numbers 11 gives us another parallel. There's some great teaching in here. So here, Moses, Moses had, for every ten people, a leader that was authorized, recognized, under authority, that, and Numbers 11 says that those leaders had the same anointing on them as Moses, that God came and put the anointing on them as he put on Moses. Musicians, would you come? I just think church is like the most exciting thing on the planet. Would you stand with me this morning? This right here, this body, this fellowship, this organization, it's actually, it's actually a key to your health. It's a key to your stability. It's a key to your, the success of your marriage. This family around you is, is a key to your prosperity. It's a key to your destiny, your future. It's a key to your legacy. This body around you, just look around. Look around at the people around. I know we douse the lights, but... 
can still see one another. This, the people around you, this fellowship right here is a key to the future of your success, your longevity, everything about you. This body right here. And, and, and if, if you are plugged in, planted to the house of the Lord, you might, we could say you might live to be 104. You might be like a George Beverly Shea. And, and you might be knit to somebody for 70 years like a George Beverly Shea. Knit to somebody. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wow. There's so much life here. And I just want you to, I want you to catch it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would say to us in the Northwest right here, in the midst of the most unchurched county in the nation, that he would say to us, be different, be different, be different, be different, be different. Don't let, don't let the churchism of the Northwest be your status quo. Don't let it be the lid. Don't let it be the level. Don't let it be the maximum for you. Press into all that I have for you. And follow the word. Follow the word. Run after what God has ordained that the church and that you as a body member in the church become all that God's ordained for you as well. Heads bowed, eyes closed, all across the auditorium. Would you do that? I want to pray for you this morning. I'm, I'm going to ask you to come into agreement as we close this morning. That we, we just say, Lord, break me out. Break me out. Break me out. Routines, habits. Norms. Break me out of any influence of darkness over the Northwest. Any influence that's been affecting me, harming me, harming my perspective on church, harming my perspective on the house of the Lord, harming my perspective. Anything that's been weighing on me, oppressing me, influencing me, I've not even realized it, but I just say, Holy Spirit, this morning, I welcome your shift. I welcome your change. I welcome your renewal. And I want, say it with me, I want, I want your heart for the church in me. I want your heart for the church in me. What you have in mind, what you have designed, what you have fashioned, what you've ordained, I want that living in me. In Jesus' name.